Hello, you're listening to the Emoting Podcast. I'm your host, Teresa Brenneman. This is a human design, education, and integration podcast, and an intimate space to emote, express, and accept the complexities of being a human. Welcome back. We have a special guest today, my friend Kimberly McConnell, who I did analyst training with, and We've also met in person at the High Desert Human Design Conference a couple of times. She is a lovely joy of a human being, and I really enjoyed this conversation. On last week's episode, I gave my perspective of the projection fields, the second line and fifth line projection fields, and I thought it would be really cool to follow up that episode with a fifth line guest and Kimberly happens to be a five two. So she has the perspective of both. She's also a 10.5 in her conscious son. So she is a true heretic through and through. And I just figured it would be really cool to get her perspective. So this was a really fun conversation. Uh, we jammed out about a lot of things and got to hear firsthand what it's like to be in that projection field as a fifth line. If you're curious about the rest of her design, she's actually a quad split with all nine centers defined. So that makes her an emotional generator. And she's also on the left angle cross of preservation. If you'd like to see her full design, she does have it posted on KimberlyMcConnellHD.com. I'll link that in the show notes. And without further ado, here's my conversation with 5-2 emotional generator, Kimberly McConnell. Cool. Thanks for coming on. I'm really excited to see where this flows and Me see too. what we end up talking about. I was recording a podcast about projection fields like last week because I was talking about it in my stories. And I was like, just, you know, sometimes when you're externalizing, you realize something. <laughs> and I said out loud, I was like, I need to have somebody on to talk to about this because I'm only sharing part of my perspective and what I've witnessed, but I don't actually know how it feels to be a fifth line and be in that type yeah. of projection field. And you have the double whammy being a five two. So <laughs> you were just the first person that popped into my mind. I was like, oh, it'd be really cool to talk to Kimberly about this. And I you also it. just have a really unique design in general. And so, yeah, I love talking about the different experiences people have and all of that. So totally. Yeah, me too. I mean, yeah, you get a you get a slice of it. You're a two four, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, you know, the two, which is a different kind of projection field vibe, but very similar in that it's like, you know, you're you're stuck in this whirlwind of other people can see you and other people see things they put on you. And man, it's a lot. It is a lot. And I feel like second lines. I mean, I, I hate to compare because it's, you know, that's a thing in human design where it's like, nobody has it easier or worse or whatever. It's all relative to our mental mm -hmm. stories. But from my perspective, fifth lines just have it a little harder when it comes to the projection field, because people are expecting you to have a solution or to fix something for them. And with second lines, it's kind of just like, oh, people are just disappointed that we're not reaching the potential that they think that we have, right? Yeah. But it's not like we can really mess up relationships that easily by not using our gifts. It's just kind of like we get shooted all the time and whatnot. But there isn't that burning at the stake that can happen mm -hmm. with the fifth line. And have you experienced that many times in your life? And what's that oh, been yeah. like? Oh, yeah. Um. Yeah. You know, you bring up a good point about how the, the two gets projected on, but it's different than the five. And 
I mean, I've had to try and like differentiate the two because I have both. And not only do I have, not only am I a 5-2 profile, but I have eight twos in my design and that's the majority. So even though the two is in my design side, it's like, I still really resonate with the two and get a lot of those should projections and like, oh, you'd be so good at this. You were so good at that one little thing that one time when you were in the flow and it was natural. You should just do that for the rest of your life, you know? So I get I get all of those and I try and differentiate the two. Um, what I've what I've kind of come to terms with is that everybody gets projected on. Whether you have a two, whether you have a five, it's just human nature to see someone pick up the things that you recognize and then extrapolate, you know, because we don't know the whole picture. So it's just like our our survival nature to try and figure out what what am I dealing with here? And so we fill in the blanks with what we know. So it's always based on our culture and our life and our experience. And um, so we're all getting projected on. So what's the difference then? Like, why is it harder for line to get projected on? And I think I think that what's happening is that the the projections that go on the fifth line are you can, right? They project that you can do something that I can't do. They project that like you can save, you can do this thing that I need help with. And so there's sort of a personal investment in it. I think, I think like you're saying with the two, it's it's disappointing when you don't live up to your to your expectations, but it's not it, it, they don't lose something. You know, but with when a fifth line disappoints you, there's potential for it to be personal and for you to like for you to lose something in the interaction. And so then it it turns into it's such a bigger deal than just you didn't live up to your potential. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so when you've experienced that feeling of being burned at the stake, has it been because you were trying to live up to a, a projection that didn't feel right for you? Has it been because you almost didn't even have a say in the projection? And because I, I noticed both of those things happening, right? Mm-hmm. For sure. I have noticed both of those things happening. I've noticed there's a couple different reasons to get burned at the stake slash abandoned, you know, because they'll either they'll either tear down your reputation or they'll just leave. Um, which both are incredibly painful. Um, but so I've noticed that if I lean into someone's projection, like if I give them breadcrumbs of hope that I might be able to fulfill their projection without really knowing that I can or without really intending to do so, that can lead to them being disappointed, right? Because it seems like I led them on. Fair enough. The other thing I think can happen is when you're a heretic, you're just everything in your life has the potential to be heretical, every little thing. So you may not even be trying to do something heretical. And it it affects people where now they don't see you the same way. And now you're either unpredictable or because you're not going along with the story, it's dangerous. And I think the dangerous factor has really done some damage in my relationships where I'm not even trying to be heretical, but it it comes across where they no longer know what to expect from me. And it feels it feels dangerous to their sense of security because, you know, our beliefs are what we live off of. It's it's our entire existence. So if somebody's questioning that, it can be really dangerous. Mm-hmm. So I've noticed that that seems to be the biggest one that really causes problems in my life. Yeah. Have, how has how have your relationships changed 
since you've gotten deeper into your experiment and also witnessed this projection field and have like conscious awareness of it now? That's a great question. How have my relationships changed? Well, I think that I'm becoming aware of the fact that I have been really prone to people pleasing. And, you know, it can be embarrassing for me to think like, I'm in my mid thirties. How am I still, still dealing with this? And I try and just be nice to myself and give myself some slack because my, my projection field is so dense, you know, that of course I'd be experiencing people pleasing, of course. So I think what I've come to realize at this point in my life is that if I give in to people pleasing in my relationships, even a little bit, it's a really slippery slope. Mm -hmm. And there's a potential to totally lose myself. And there's a potential to just have completely dishonest relationships with people. And, um, and I also tend to keep people at arm's length, even people that are really, really close to me. If I'm trying to play into their projections, you know, because once someone gets too close to you <laughs> and they see your humanity, the illusion is disrupted mm. and you know that as a fifth line so there's this tendency to just kind of try and control everything and and in controlling everything you end up people pleasing and then you end up losing yourself and you end up not having good relationships with people mm. so i've found myself even now if i'm being totally honest i'm in a stage in my life right now where i haven't really nurtured a lot of my relationships my friendships and I'm in a bit of a transition, a big transition in my life. And so it's like I have this opportunity to really question what are what are my values? What matters to me? Where have I been slipping on that and people pleasing and just going down this road that I don't really want to go down, you know? Mm. Um, so it's a long way of answering your question that I think learning about the projection field has really taught me that honesty is huge for a heretic for anyone in the projection field. You just have to be honest and you have to be straightforward from the very freaking beginning. You can't lead people on and make them think that that you're going to be what they want you to be. You know, it's better to lose them in the beginning than to lose them after years of creating this false relationship. <laughs> wow, that is such a good piece of advice right there because I feel like what I notice with fifth lines is they either are doing what what you're saying, being honest and kind of providing disclaimers to people like, "Hey, I don't know what you're seeing in me, but I don't know that I'm capable of that or whatever. Or they just lean so far into the projection field because I I know fifth lines do struggle to see themselves. And I would imagine as a five two, it's it's pretty extra in that way. Like what mm -hmm. is going on in here? So yeah, that's just a really good point of just yeah. approach things with honesty and be upfront. And sometimes yeah. I do find that the projection field is an opportunity for the fifth line to see what they're capable of, but you can only know whether it's correct for you based on your own authority. So totally, you're just like, oh, any projection that comes my way, just like a second line, any call that comes my way, I'm going to take it. We're going to end up answer end up answering the wrong calls, or you're going to end mm -hmm. up trying to live up to the wrong projections. Totally, which just messes everything up. And the other thing to know is that as a as a heretic, it feels amazing 
when people put projections on you. The projections are always good in the beginning. You know, they put you on a pedestal. That feels fucking great. It feels great to the human ego to be like, hey, you're special. There's something about you that we really like that can save the day. So, of course, you're going to want to lean into the projections. You know, yes, it's hard to see yourself. And also, it feels really good to lean in. So you kind of have to just like temper that. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I can imagine. It's like all of these people just, I am not worthy. (laughs) Just bowing down. (laughs) Oh my God. For real. And I used to think that I like that. I wanted that. Of course. I used to think I want a relationship where the person puts me on a pedestal and forever thinks that I deserve to be on this pedestal. Meanwhile, I didn't think I deserved to be on the pedestal because I'm a freaking human. Mm -hmm. You know, I see my faults and I have experienced people putting me on a pedestal and then there's the fall, you know? And so in the back of my mind, before realizing what was happening through design, I just kind of thought, well, there will be that person who comes who I don't fall off the pedestal for. And what I've come to learn is that those people do exist, but they, it's not that I don't fall off the pedestal. I do fall off the pedestal, but they love me anyway. And those are the people that the fifth line keeps in their life as their close friends. You know, we're not really here to impact our close friends in the way that we're here to impact strangers. So it's like you you're constantly as the fifth line looking for who are these people that are going to be my my close? Who are who's my family that I can let in and be vulnerable with who are still going to love me when I'm not on the pedestal. Um yeah. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense because the few relationships that I have with fifth lines that I consider closer relationships were because I saw their humanity and I essentially looked past it. (laughs) You know, I was like, God bless you for that. That's surprising. And (laughs) I had to deal with my own feelings around them falling off the pedestal. But then it's always been because I've had like, I don't know what I would have done pre-human design. I probably would have burned them. But (laughs) post-human design, I'm like, oh, this is a very necessary experience for me to watch my projections just dissolve and also still see the person's the things that drew me to the person initially, you know, the things that I point. like the things that I did put them on a pedestal for, they're still kind of there. It's just there's also this other side of it where they're also a freaking human and nobody is nobody can avoid that. You know, we all have our faults. Totally. We're all going to have moments where we get emotional and we say something crude or messed up mm-hmm. or something we don't mean, especially if you're defined emotional. And it's just, it's okay. It's okay. Yeah. So that's such a good point, Teresa. And I think um, knowing about all of this, it's so, it's such a good opportunity for growth. Like you said, to be able to see your own projections that we put on people and, and it's natural. It's like impossible to walk around as a human being and not extrapolate and assume and put projections on people. But it's so refreshing to be like, oh, shit, that was all me. <laughs> that was yeah. all me. Yeah, and, absolutely. And it's, you know, I don't know. It's great. It's it's a good lesson for all of us. Yeah, because we hear that, you know, it's hard to get it's hard to really see a fifth line. But I've found that you can see them eventually and this was something you and I both took James's analyst training and this is something he talked about and I got to kind of watch that play out in real time and seeing how if I actually stick around after the fifth line disappoints me (laughs) inevitably because I don't know that any fifth line can live up to every projection we have of them right Right. um 
No, they can't. I, w- I will get to be behind the mystique a little bit and get to peek behind that curtain, mm-hmm. behind that veil and see, oh, there actually is a human. It's like the Wizard of Oz, mm-hmm. you know? It's like- oh my God, that's a great example. You know what it feels like? It feels like you're at a, you're in a traveling circus or something. So when you get behind the veil, like I have plenty of fifth line friends. When I get behind the veil, I'm like, all right, so... So we're we're on this we're in this show together, but you and I are backstage. Like we know the real story, and we're just gonna like put this whole organization together. It feels almost like you're you're in the in crowd. It's a good feeling, I think, if you can get past the projections. Yeah, because then you're also witnessing other people's projections, and you're kind of like laughing about it. Totally, like- <laughs> and it's fun. It's like being with a famous person. You walk mm-hmm. around, and people are like, "Oh my god!" and they like lose their minds. But at the same time, it's it's like fun to be around that. But it's also like you you're in the backstage, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Which it doesn't surprise me that so many celebrities are fifth lines. I feel mm-hmm. like two thirds of the celebrity charts I look up when I'm really yeah. curious about one is, or even just reality show <laughs> stars sometimes, or I'm like, I wonder what they are. And it's <laughs> dominated by fifth lines because Interesting. I feel like people who are fifth lines also have the ability to kind of have that public persona that I think fame requires of people. And I always think about how I know there's like plenty of two fours that are famous or whatever, but I always am like, I don't see how they could do it. I I would be so worried. I would say something bold and then my whole, you know, PR crisis, and mm-hmm. <laughs> whatever. And it's it's like there does have to kind of be that awareness of your reputation and that persona. Yeah. And I think that's why Fifth Lines might have more longevity being famous sometimes. But then you also watch them getting publicly burned and then having to recover from that burning. And yeah. so it's really interesting. Yeah. That's a great point. It is interesting. Yeah, the reputation piece. Oh my God. I've had a few instances in my life where my reputation completely demolished a group of friends. <laughs> and it had nothing to do with like what I actually did. You know, I didn't have a conversation with people. I didn't do something personally to people. It was truly just my reputation being tarnished and then them completely disappearing. People who were like good friends of mine. I've had this happen multiple times in my life. Wow. It's so painful, but it's also like it shows me, okay, that's okay. You you were in that world to me. You were not in the close friends group. It's okay. You know, the people who stick around, that's how you really know that they're your people and you can be yourself. And, you know, it's way less likely they're going to abandon you for being yourself. So, so they just like heard something about you and or mm-hmm. something about your reputation and then just walked away. Yeah. I mean, I can tell you a story. If you want yeah, to hear it. do tell. <laughs> this was probably the biggest mass exodus of friends in my life. I was about 17 or 18. It was the end of high school. And it's important to like set the stage. Basically, when I was a kid, I was really religious and I was a goody two shoe, you know, like I didn't drink party. I was saving myself for marriage, the whole thing. Right. And I had a lot of friends who were in that similar trajectory at the time. And I was dating a guy who we were, we were, it was a terrible match. It was a very emotionally tumultuous relationship and he was not not good to me. And I was over it. I was super over it, but it was high school and I had extracurricular activities that took me away from school like half the time. So my main focus in life was, I just want to spend time with my friends. I don't want to lose my friends. I want to have a semblance of a normal teenage experience. So I stuck it out with this guy because I knew that if we broke up, it would like create a divide. You know, you everybody has to pick their person in a breakup. So I stuck it out with this guy, even though I was very over it. And when we finally did break up, I had that 
emotional front-loaded clarity. You know, I was over it, so over it. So three days after our breakup, I went to a party. And mind you, I was 17 or 18. I was 18 at the time, maybe 19 actually, because I didn't start drinking until the drink that I had in high school was on prom night. That was the first sip of alcohol that I had. And that shocked my entire group. Right. So anyway, it was around that time. So I went to a party three days after we broke up and um, saw someone there that I knew and liked. And we made out and had a great night and, you know, drunken teenage fun. It was totally innocent and totally fun. And I had a great time. I'm still really fond of that memory. The guy who we had separated, right? He lost his shit, told everybody that I was like some kind of, I don't know, like trollop, like I was loose and that I had like gone off the deep end and I'd be an alcoholic if it weren't for him. And he, he like ran my reputation through the mud, right? And of course, keep in mind, our, our friends were like very not like that. So this was a huge blow to my reputation. I lost half of my friends, people who should have been on my side of the divorce, people I'd known for years, could not look me in the eye, would not talk to me. I didn't even, they weren't even there at the party. I didn't have a chance to tell them my side of the story. I remember going up to like four of them after separately and being like, can we just talk about this? Because I don't understand what happened, why all of a sudden we're not friends anymore. And they they were like, no, we're not getting involved. We're, we don't even want to talk about it. I'm like, well, you're clearly already involved, you know? <laughs> but yeah, I lost half my friends in that situation. And that is not the only time. That was probably the biggest mass exodus. But I've had many stories like this where something happens and all of a sudden I'm dangerous or I'm no longer what they expect. I'm unpredictable. You know, I've I've done something outside the norms that they that they're not on board with. And it's just like, goodbye. Wow. I can actually see like hearing that story. I can see why fifth lines end up developing this victimhood mentality Mm. because there are times where you are actually a victim to Mm -hmm. stories that people are saying about your reputation. And it makes sense like why the paranoia exists too. It's like we hear all of these, um, you know, perhaps unhealthy or unbalanced perspectives about the fifth line. But I actually they make perfect sense to me when you've grown up experiencing things like that, where people won't even talk to you because they're believing what they're hearing about you, even Mm -hmm. though it might not actually be the truth, you know? Yeah. And even if it were the truth, like even if he had been objective and said, yeah, she made out with somebody and partied and had fun. Like even if it had been the absolute truth, it had nothing to do with any of these people. It was just me, you know, mm-hmm. and me being something else was like, no, we're done. Yeah, so it it's interesting. The paranoia is there. You know, it's funny. I've I recently on my stories have been talking a lot about how like the paranoia is there for a reason. I get like really on my high horse about it. <laughs> and it's true, but I also really I'm starting I'm like stepping back a little bit, a little bit and realizing I think that <laughs> The technical term of paranoia, where it's not entirely confounded, is is true. I think that, yes, we're all getting projections all the time. And as a fifth line, I'm probably a little paranoid about those projections and think that there's more weight to it than there really is. But for good reason. You know, I've had crazy shit like that happen in my life many times, Mm -hmm. (laughs) not every time. And so I have to, like, remind myself that it's like it doesn't happen every time. It's okay to disappoint people once in a while. It's not going to it's you know, it's better to disappoint them than to people, please. Um, But, yeah, the paranoia is there. It's there and it's real. (laughs) Mm, Yeah. Wow. 
Yeah. So the feeling of disappointing people, that was something that I personally had to work through actually in 2020. That was like my year of it's okay to disappoint people. I quit my job that I'd been at for five years by literally just calling her and saying, I'm not coming in today. And I've (laughs) I've never done anything like that. No, you don't seem like that person. That's funny. (laughs) I know. But it was one of those things where looking back on it, I had to be like, oh, I needed to experience what it feels like to disappoint somebody. It was a shattering for my pleaser self because my pleaser Mm -hmm. self was so at the front of my identity and I needed something to shatter that. And for you, it was so freaking uncomfortable. And I like, thank God, uh, because it was this woman I had been, I started a fitness studio with her. I was her right hand person. She was a three, five projector, an emotional projector, channel of community. So super tribal and we were very close and it broke my heart to do that mm. but and it and i will say it was kind of like in a heightened emotional state and although i had been riding my way for like 6 months about it i look back and i'm like it couldn't have happened in any other way because i would have found myself trying to stick around somehow and i needed to just like cut ties and yeah. leave the place entirely but it was one of those things where I had to really be okay with dealing with the fact that I objectively, like anybody seeing this objectively sees that that is not the mature way to handle something. And that is a disappointing behavior, right? Yeah, well, you you were where you were, you know? Exactly. I don't know. I think like we all, we all need to really get a hold of like, even if someone does something that's disappointing and that is immature or is not the best way it could have been handled, it's like you have responsibility for your reaction about that. You know, Mm -hmm. we can't be constantly perfect and be constantly not emotional. And it's like, it's just, it's who we are. I don't know. I get a little like the whole world needs to take more responsibility for how they react to people. Like let people be a freaking human once in a while and not be perfect. So what? They didn't deliver it the way that would have been best. They're Mm -hmm. taking care of themselves. And in a sense, taking care of yourself is taking care of the other person. Because if you kept showing up at that job, half-assing it and hating it, it's like, do they really want you doing that? No. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a really good point. I definitely had a come to Jesus moment around it because I also, it's funny. I don't know if you've experienced this being a defined emotional. We're normally the ones that are like, okay with confrontation or whatever. But mm-hmm. I've actually found that from my experience, I've had to really work up to being okay confronting people and yeah. talking, like confronting hard truths, truths in my within myself, truths within a relationship. Yep. Me too. And I, um, I basically was still kind of, I, I do stretch therapy and body work and stuff. And I was still kind of seeing some people from the fitness studio, even after I quit. And one of the people was a mutual friend and he was like, you just need to call her and tell her you're sorry and mm. see if she'll meet up with you. And I guarantee you she'll hear you out and give you another mm. chance. And that was some of the best advice I could have gotten because I was like all up in my head about it. Like, she'll mm. never talk to me. No. I fucked up so badly. No. Like, h- how could she ever forgive me? And he no. was just like, I really encourage you to call her up. And that. that was so hard for me. I did it. And she met me for lunch and we talked about it. And she basically said the same thing you're saying. Like, you know, in five years of working for me, you didn't fuck up at all. And mm. it's okay. Yeah, maybe you fucked up in a big way that was really inconvenient for me. But 
And it was just, and it, you know, hurt my feelings, of course, because she also had that perspective of like, oh, everybody leaves me, like being a third line, right? And mm. having to break bonds and stuff. No. And so I was able to like see her humanity in that. And um, yeah, it was just one of those yeah. very, it's like one of those life experiences that you'll never forget because it kind of turns your beliefs over and yeah. you realize, wow, like there are people out there that will actually forgive your humanity and mm-hmm. not hold mistakes against you and see it as a learning experience and be For able sure. to like be emotionally responsible with their own feelings about it. Like you were saying, yeah. I, I do think that's one of the harder parts is people just want to blame be like, Oh, you caused this. You're responsible for my feelings. But then they also have to take responsibility for their own feelings. Yeah, totally. And you know, sorry goes a long way. (laughs) It does. It really does. And I think if you're willing to be vulnerable and honest with somebody about your fuck ups, then it's much easier for them to be like, well, I also played a part, you know? Yeah. That humility, I feel like, especially in conflict, like I've been in a couple conflicts with people where, it's like you're both kind of raging at each other and you know your protector part is forward and you can feel that it's it almost reminds me of two rhinos just bonking <laughs> you know their horns and mm-hmm. nobody is admitting any kind of humility because it doesn't feel safe to do that because it is a really vulnerable thing to take responsibility and apologize when you fucked up yeah. so i feel like the conflict resolution that I've had in the last year especially has been humility has been key and then it's like once your protector part comes down the other person's protector comes down and then you can get somewhere yeah I mean that's the only way you can get somewhere and it's funny how it really does affect the other person when you're like okay look I'm willing to be vulnerable I'm willing to open up and show you my my dirty you know yeah absolutely yeah that's been a hard one for me too um still you know I I recently sent somebody a voice memo where I had to disappoint them and I was worried about the emotional repercussions. And I was like, I'm so embarrassed that I can't call you or see you in person and tell you this, but like, I just can't. But I think it's better that I send you a voice memo and get the truth out, you know, than not. And so, you know, it's like I'm finding ways to cope with it. But yeah, for sure, I'm defined emotional and I'm still, um, I have a hard time with it. And I've also, I think, part of that can be I've witnessed my emotionality come out naturally without any kind of masking and it can really affect people to the point where like they don't want to be around you I've actually lost people that way too where my emotionality comes out and I don't know if that felt heretical to them or they were just like "Mm, mm, too emotional Mm. I've lost people from that so it can be scary to be emotional and to know that you don't really have a control over like how that comes out yeah. Do you feel like they made up a story about it and internalized the emotion? Like probably like or because that's something I've also noticed is sometimes people like if I'm being emotional, especially if it's an undefined emotional that you're talking to, mm-hmm. they will assume that you're directing that energy at them when mm-hmm. sometimes it's literally just needing to come up and out. Yeah. And I've found that when I'm with other defined emotionals, there isn't that friction Mm. around that you know with I find with both of my parents with my husband I feel really free to just emote and express because none of them are taking it personally or assuming it's their fault because they right they've like witnessed that so many times in me and they're also defined emotionals and they know that they do that sometimes yeah and I've I've even felt that way like when somebody's getting really emotional like oh my god 
are they mad at me? Did I do something? You know, but I find with untolerate it. Yeah. That's the thing too, is like, and if they did, or if I did, I could, I feel at this point I could be confident enough to be like, Hey, I don't know if I caused any of this. Like, is everything okay? You know? And, but yeah, I find that undefined emotionals will be like, I had an undefined emotional tell me one time I was just like expressing some anger. Like they made a statement and then I was confused by the statement and I was clearly in a wave and just kind of expressed anger. And I can see why they took it personally. But at the same time, it was like, it was just there was emotionality in my voice yeah. and they literally ran away. They were like, uh, <laughs> they like we were on the phone. They hung up on me. It was like a splenic projector and oh, they hung no. up on me and they were like, nope not talking to you and then they said it was because my emotions were directed at them and i'm like mm. <laughs> i mean Interesting. yeah and i and looking back i'm like maybe it was but at the same time how many times do we as defined emotionals kind of get that projection of like your emotions aren't safe for me so yeah. i can't be around them oof yeah that hurts hearing you say that it hurts cuz i'm like oh it's so true that's just another way that it's like hard to show up as yourself as a mm-hmm. defined emotional. Yeah. It's funny. You mentioned that I'm like going through all the people in my life that I know I've had that situation with. And I'm like, okay, undefined emotional, undefined emotional. Yeah. <laughs> this goes on. Yeah. There's something really special about sitting with a defined emotional and yeah. both of you just having your feelings and being oh okay God, with so it <laughs> and almost being like self-contained within that, but also witnessing each other. Mm-hmm. like th- it's just a different it's a different experience to kind of swim in those depths and be able to see things from different angles and I've had really healing experiences with open emotionals too I don't know if you've experienced that mm-hmm. where somebody who's like specifically completely open with no activations at all is able to just mirror my emotions mm-hmm. and like receive them and let them move through them in a really healthy way mm-hmm. that has been really healing for me so there's there's both sides of the coin right yeah, I'll have to sit with that. I don't I don't know if I've had that experience. Yeah. My father is an undefined emotional and I know that I've witnessed him avoid emotions most of his life and I can tell that he avoids them cuz he feels so deeply. Mm-hmm. You know. Um Yeah, it's sad. So I've noticed whenever I have emotions and I'm around him that it like I can just see him like it feels like he's dying inside, you know, and I'm like I'm sorry. <laughs> but but it's also really sweet. But I'm like, ugh, I get it. I get why you, why you just keep it so contained all the time because it's, it's so big. Yeah, that yeah. that pain. I mean, it makes sense because it's like they're not used to having that on a consistent basis, and we're just used to it. It just comes yeah. up all the time with us, and so there's that capacity to hold it. Whereas they're having to learn to hold it. It's like like a baby deer learning to walk mm-hmm. and they're doing that, but with emotions. And so if they've been trying to avoid that experience for their whole life. Yeah. It doesn't sound like fun. I mean, I know I'm defined emotional. I'm avoiding emotions. So I can't imagine what it's like to be not defined emotional. Avoiding emotions. Yeah. Right. Speaking of, so you have 3740, which is the ratchet wave. Mm-hmm. What can you tell me about that experience? Mm. I'm fascinated by this channel because I'm surrounded by it. Both my parents and my husband have it. Oh my god! Yeah, and so wow. And I have well, hanging 37, so I'm oh, compromised. Girl, you to probably it. know more about it than I do. <laughs> um, I have just experienced it to be true that 
something builds and builds and builds and then it's not even necessarily related and all of a sudden I'm I'm an asshole. You know, I think that most of my emotional wave is um <laughs> like okay, I actually I posted this is perfect. I posted something the other day. I came across that song that I'm a bitch, I'm a lover, you know that song? Yeah. And I like put it on repeat so it's like um I'm a lover I'm a lover and it was like I'm a lover over and over and over and then it's like I'm a bitch like <laughs> so it's like I'm very affectionate and loving all the time then all of a sudden I'm like burn it down <laughs> um yeah and I think honestly that has made me more afraid of my emotionality because I'm like holy shit like she comes out of nowhere and she is naughty <laughs> mm-hmm. um yeah but also 3740 I love affection I'm I'm a people person I'm you know, um, I also really resonate with needing, needing the time alone. I'm down for the tribe, but I also really need space, which could also have a lot to do with being nine centers defined and being a five, two, but yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Uh, we hear from 3740 that it's here to prove itself by providing to the tribe, in what ways have you experienced that? Like, cause we think obviously with resources and that's mm-hmm. how I've witnessed my parents and, um, this, I see that in my husband, just this desire to provide for others. But mm-hmm. I also have noticed it, it kind of has to do with will too, just with willpower. Like you don't always provide with actual material. Sometimes it's like, oh yeah, mm-hmm. I can like my husband the other day, mm-hmm. we work at this restaurant and, they're closed on Mondays and the tables on our patio needed to be sanded. And he offered to come in and like sand the tables down nice <laughs> on his day off. Yeah. <laughs> he works another job too. And he like worked his other job the whole day. And I'm like, I'm just watching, like I could never, I wouldn't have mm-hmm. the willpower to do that. And I even checked in with him. Like, you sure you have the energy to do this? And he's like, yeah, I can go do it. No big deal. And so sometimes I'm like, oh, there's just this feeling of needing to provide willpower or mm-hmm. strength or just whatever you can give. He's probably good at that too, right? Like he's probably familiar with, with sanding and things. Yeah. 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 That's something that I've noticed is like, if I know that it's really easy for me and it's an, it's an easy grab for respect and for like, I made a contribution. I did my thing today. You know, if it's something where I'm like, I dread doing it, it's probably not going to happen. You know, okay. the will is lazy, right? Yeah, yeah. It's lazy. It only wants to do it if there's a reward. And so it's it's like, what's the what's the give and take here? Is the reward worth the effort? And so mm-hmm. I find myself giving a lot of times when I'm like, that's easy for me. I can see all these other people are really going to struggle with it. They're really going to respect the fact that I did it. That feels good. <laughs> oh, that makes so much sense. Okay. I feel like that really helps me understand him because sometimes cool. I'm like, you're not getting paid for this or you're not getting paid a lot for this. Maybe you clocked yeah. in your hourly or whatever, but you're not getting paid a lot for this. And yeah, it's but the it's, ego gratification for yes. sure. <laughs> uh, okay. That makes so much sense because as an open ego, I'm like, I. <laughs> That doesn't matter to me. You know, maybe my mind makes it matter sometimes, but in reality, it doesn't contribute to my satisfaction at all to just have people be like adoring me or giving me respect for doing something for them. This is such a good point. Yeah, it's such a good point. The difference, too, of like when your mind tells you you really should do that versus the, the satisfaction that a defined ego actually gets. Like it's actually very satisfying to put my energy towards something that I know isn't going to drain the shit out of me, but is also going to really mean a lot to other people and is going to be really helpful. That feels so good, you know, but I also know the difference of when your mind tells you to do something, how doing it does not feel good. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Wow. It's a a great differentiation. 
Yeah. Yeah. And it must be interesting too, because you are quad split. And so you have these like four personalities basically, Mm -hmm. and your authority and your ego are kind of one in the same there because they're connected and they're on their own little island. Yeah. So it's kind of like, is there, I mean, you're, you're fully conscious in your authority. So Mm -hmm. Do you feel like you've always had that awareness of that like emotional ego energy or did you have to kind of learn that it existed? Because I'm completely unconscious in my authority. So I'm always Mm. kind of curious about people that have consciously defined authorities. That's a hard one because I think I think being a quad split emotional has made it hard to figure out my emotional authority. Mm. Um. Like I'm very aware of my emotionality, but as far as as far as being able to lean on on my emotions for clarity, ha- that's been a hard journey. Mm. Um, I mean, I'm still, I'm still like learning about it every day, you know. Yeah. Um, and the another thing that I think is kind of interesting is like, yeah, because I have the four splits, so they're all three of them are projected. One of them is splenic generated. My mind is completely unconscious. So I think that has been interesting too, because it's like, yes, the parts of me that are that, that I should be listening to are defined, but the part of me that I shouldn't be listening to is undefined. And it's kind of like running the show, mm. <laughs> you know, because I'm like, oh, I can't like it's really there, but it's insidious because yeah. it's so undefined, you know? Wow. And you have that channel of logic. So yes. do you, I mean, that's such a tension point in your chart that you have that channel of logic and this like powerful mind and yet emotions are not logical at all and that's your authority yeah and I am such a logical person and I'm Mm. such a numbers person I'm like I fucking eat it up I love it and yeah my mind definitely can get can get on board (laughs) with trying to control shit so does it try to like make your emotions logical? Like, oh, it makes sense that I feel that way. Or this doesn't make sense that I feel yeah, this way. all the time. All the time. Even now. <laughs> Even now I'll have to just be like, you know, like, it's okay. <laughs> Let it be. I'm also part of me as individual, you know, and my personality son is is individual. So it's like, there's a part of me that's just going to be melancholic for no good reason. And yeah, I've been leaning into it now. It's funny. I'm living alone now for the first time in a really long time. And so sometimes I'll just be like, God, I have this feeling in me. I don't know what it is. I need to get it out. You know, I have that self-projected element, the one eight from from my throat to my G. And so I'm like, I just I just need to talk. So I'll talk and then I'll just start weeping for no reason. And then I'll start laughing for no reason. And I'm like, it's okay. (laughs) Just go along with it. See where it goes. It's been interesting. Yeah, that self-projected. I have 1020. So I noticed that too, where it's almost just like this. Thing that needs to run its course where I need to talk and talk and talk and talk. And I mm-hmm. usually use like if, if my husband isn't around, I'll use Instagram stories to do that. Yeah. Do you do a lot of voice just, notes? Yeah, I do voice notes oh too. Oh my God. I have yeah. literally, I have 600 voice notes. I just noticed the other day, I'm like, fuck, if someone ever found that, they'd be like, why is she talking to herself so much? <laughs> it's like my way of journaling though. I would yeah. actually rather not write things down all the time. Sometimes I do, but it, sometimes it's just like this feeling of I need to talk and and then I also notice like certain truths will come out when I'm talking so it's useful that's the big thing for me is I'll notice a truth come out or I'll I'll say something I've been thinking and it doesn't ring true and I'm like oh Mm. interesting yeah that's another good point where it's like 
once you hear yourself say it, it's kind of like you're aware of how silly it is or Mm -hmm. that there just isn't anything. There are no legs underneath it. Yeah. It's just like, oh, that's just a thought. That's a thought. It's Mm -hmm. just kind of a good way to notice the not self. Yeah. I didn't even think about that before, actually. That's a great idea. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, I was going to ask you, oh, being a quad split, speaking of the not self, being a quad split, you have a unique way of identifying with your not self. I mean, at least compared to uh, the majority of people out there Mm -hmm. where it's our open centers. Obviously, if you're a split definition, like a small split, um, you're going to have issues within the gates that bridge your split. And Mm -hmm. that's what it is for you too. It's more the gates themselves and not the actual themes of any center. And how how have you like worked that out for yourself? And do you have any awareness around what you've discovered with that? Oh yeah, totally. So it's funny when I first pulled my chart. Well, when when I first, my chart was first pulled for me. That was the very first time that I was introduced to human design. The person who pulled it was like, holy shit, I've never seen this much color in a design, you know? And then when I looked at it, you know, you go to Jovian and it shows you all of the not self themes for each of the undefined centers. Mine was blank. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> of course, because I have, you know, I don't have the centers yeah. undefined. So I swear to God, for like a year of me learning about human design, I was like, I don't have any conditioning. <laughs> it says I'm good in that category. I don't have anything to worry about. Um, but yeah, I've definitely found where my not self lives in my bridging gates. I've pinpointed it down to three of them. I think there's like seven bridging gates, but there's three of them that really fuck with me on a regular basis. And one of them in particular is across from my personality son. It's um, 57. Mm-hmm. And my mother has perfected form. So my mom has 5710. 10 is my personality son. 57 is a bridge for me. So there's, oh, oh my God, like the way that shows up, feeling like I need to have perfected form, constantly being worried about my skin, my gut, my health. How can I outsmart mortality? I swear to God, there's a part of my mind that thinks I can literally outsmart my own death by manipulating my diet in certain ways. So like, it's not surprising that my Instagram is filled with pictures of my alternating appetite and like all the things that I'm doing to like make my health stronger, you know? Um God, it's it's huge. So just because it's not a whole center doesn't mean that it it you know it's focused in more in something smaller, but it's still huge. The yeah. themes are still massive and pervasive, you know. Wow. Yeah, that's a really good point because that's kind of what I've said to people who come to me for readings and they're like, oh, you know, if, if they only have two centers defined, they're like, I have so much not self. And I'm like, it's not that you have more than me. It's just mine's yeah. concentrated into two centers where yours yeah. is like slippery and, you know, exactly. just more out there. So it's the same for you. It's just concentrated to that very specific. It's more specific. Yeah. It's more specific. Yeah, it's more specific, but it becomes more, more pervasive. You know, it's it's I, I'm grateful for it, to be honest, because I know exactly where to look. Mm-hmm. I know exactly where my mind is going to go. But I'm realizing the the deeper I go in this, how pervasive it is and how it infiltrates every part of my life. And I'm like, God, am I even am I even that way at all? <laughs> you know? Yeah. Like, is that even me? Yeah. Well, and the hard part for me is that's that's my biggest thing. One of my biggest things. And at the same time, I have a defined spleen and I have, um, you know, I have 2750. So it's mm-hmm. like, I do have a strong splenic awareness attached to my sacral. So it's confusing to be like, well, what, what is my spleen and what's me 
trying to, you know, trying to trying to control it. And it to me, it's always that feeling of the dangling carrot that never gets closer. That's how I know that it's my not self. You know, if it's something where I'm like constantly pressuring myself to get there, it doesn't feel satisfying and I'm not getting any closer. That's probably my not self. Yeah. And I feel like health and well-being, especially nowadays, it's just a never ending well. Yeah. Like there's so many, so much information out there. It got to the point for me where I, and I don't obviously have this as like a big not self theme, but I don't know what it is in me. It might be like my fourth color that transfers to like my fourth color Mm. determination that transfers to everything. (laughs) It's like, I need to have good water and I need to have light and I need to eat high quality ingredients. (laughs) It's all the things. Um, But yeah, I had to kind of like unfollow health influencers and stop reading about that kind of stuff because it was so pervasive and Mm -hmm. affecting my, it's like at some point it starts affecting your well-being in a yeah. way that just is is unhealthy and it's like that pendulum yeah. just swings and so i mean coming back to balance which balance is different for each person you know somebody who actually has perfected form makes perfect sense that they're really trying to perfect that whatever that even means you know right but, well, and they wouldn't even be trying you know if they have 57 10 it, it's not like they're going out of their way it's not hard for them they yeah. just they just it happens naturally for them yeah um yeah. Another thing that's, it's kind of a fucking hassle for me is I'm alternating appetite. Right. Mm. So that's so fucking specific. Yeah. It's like, how do I go my life without thinking about food without yeah. trying to perfect it? Mm-hmm. It's everywhere, you know? Yeah. Um. So that's, that's a whole nother game. And it's like, am I coming to my, to my determination through my emotional process, through my quad split emotional process that takes forever? You know, it's just, complicated. <laughs> yeah, when you first heard about being alternating, was it like a shock or were you just like how the fuck am I going to do this? <laughs> yeah, no, there was no part of me that was like that makes sense. <laughs> no. No, I like to cook. I've gone through a million different phases where I've been vegan, vegetarian, pescatarian, whatever, and I make complicated beautiful dishes. I'm an artist. I love it. I love making and I love feeding people food. I've worked in the restaurant industry for 15 years. Food is the epicenter of my life. And I love making good food that tastes really good. Um, I do love single ingredient fruits and vegetables, but at the same time, there's it's just one facet. There's so much conditioning there. And so much that I don't even know is conditioning that just expresses itself in my love for food. Mm. Um, yeah, that's that has been the most challenging thing I would say ever in my life, the most challenging or right up there, Wow, you know, because I just, I hate this idea of constricting myself. And at the same time, I have to. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Have you experienced that or what does that feel like to um, be eating according to your determination? A lot of shit has come up for me because I've taken away a lot of vices and I don't do it a hundred percent, but when I'm really on that train, so many vices are gone. And I realized how much emotional eating I've done in my life, which, you know, I'm not demonizing it. I'm just saying that there's something underneath it. There's something underneath the emotional eating. And so when you take that away, now I've got to deal with it. Now it's there front, front and center. And I've had to just come to terms with how much I escape myself and how, much I avoid reality, you know, 
that's heavy. really challenging. Yeah. It's, and it's good. I know that once I get through it, it'll be easier. And then I'll know for sure how I really feel about alternating. I know that my digestion is a thousand times better when I alternate. I've had digestive issues my whole life, like bad my whole life. And it is almost perfect when I alternate. Wow. <laughs> yeah. It's crazy. And of course my mind can get involved in that and be like, well, yeah, it's because you're not food combining. It's because this, 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 and it could be, who knows? I'm still skeptical. <laughs> yeah. And as you should be, you know, this yeah. is human design is weird information <laughs> it so is. against the grain and it so really is. nothing that we've ever been taught. In no. And it's so up. unfair to be told you're supposed to eat one fucking ingredient at a time. <laughs> Do you know how unfair that is? You know? Yeah. I'm like, cool. Yeah. Make it sound easy for everyone else. Just drink things above your body temperature or below your body temperature. No, one ingredient. That's all you get. Don't have salt. And if you do, just have it on its own. Like, oh, come on. gosh. Yeah. My husband is alternating and does not eat that way at all. But at the same time, I'm like, you're on your own journey and, yeah. you know, complains about stomach problems. And I have not met one first color person that has not had stomach problems all their life. Me which... too. And, you know, when I first figured it out, I looked through my list of body graphs to see, like, who do I know that has always had digestive issues and what's their determination? I have one good friend who she and I used to always joke about, like, smoking each other out on camping trips, you know? <laughs> like, TMI. But we used to joke about it because we both had horrible digestion. She's consecutive. Of course. It, of course. Of course. <laughs> I mean, I've known so many people who are like, it's crazy. But anyway. Yeah. It's wild. It's funny, though, because when my husband, he used to live on his own and I'd come over to his place and be he'd cook for me and I'd open his fridge and it was the same stuff. Every time I'd come over, it was like carrots, potatoes and beef. And he has 3742, which is like the beef channel. Right. And <laughs> and like rice sometimes. But anytime he'd cook a meal for me, it'd be the same things. It would just be like carrots, huh. potatoes, sometimes broccoli. You know, sometimes he'd throw in a different vegetable. It would just be the same things. And I noticed like that was his kind of natural way of eating was just like those really simple ingredients. That's beautiful. And I know. And then when he moved in with me, <laughs> like I conditioned oh. him with like, oh, I would eat, cook all these fun things. And I'm you fancy. Know, right. And so I, I think about that sometimes like, oh, when we're left to our own devices and we're not in a relationship and living with somebody else, we eat really differently. And I even noticed he was mm -hmm. just on tour with his band for like two weeks. And I ate a lot more according to my determination, mm -hmm. which is just like being a right brain. It's smaller meals, snacking, mm -hmm. you know, I'm nervous determination. I walk around when I eat a lot. I'll be mm -hmm. like multitasking when I'm eating. But when I'm with him, it's like we'll sit down and eat a big meal at the end of every day, you know, yeah. eat dinner because he doesn't really like eat that much throughout the day, whereas I'm such a snacker. So sometimes yeah. I'm like, I'm not that hungry, but I'm going to sit down and eat with you because it's like bonding. It's what we do. Yeah. And so yeah. I just notice how different we all behave when we're completely alone. God, it's so true. It's so true. I'm noticing that about myself now too, because I recently went through a separation. And so I've had this long-term relationship and now I'm living on my own. And like I said before, I haven't really been cultivating a lot of friendships and I'm just so like shook that I'm like, I'm just alone pretty much all the time. And all these things are coming up. They're so strange for me about how I exist, you know, and, and so many things that I notice my mind latching onto, like you should really create a schedule. You know, mm -hmm. of course I have 15 in my personality earth. Mm -hmm. Five is a huge bridge for me. 
And I've always been around people who have either the entire channel or the five. I'm like, you need to, you need to have a schedule. You need to be like, you need to get your life in order. <laughs> it's interesting to see they're all so much louder now. Everything is louder when you're alone. I think it's really important to spend time alone for everyone, you know? Yeah, I think so too. And I think that is a, at least for me, I noticed that the availability of alone time became a lot more available <laughs> uh, post 2020. And that's when I was like oh. three, four years into my experiment. And it was almost like if I didn't get that alone time, I don't know how much I would have deepened into my experiment. I feel like I yeah. like, I don't know if this is controversial, but I do think that we can kind of be like surface level experimenting for maybe even forever if we, <laughs> right? Yeah. Like I did that for years before 2020. And then it was like, oh, you actually have time. You can't escape your shit. And being a manifesting generator, the way that I escape is just like being busy and also being yeah. a fourth line, being around people all the time. And so, yeah. If I wouldn't have been alone with myself, I wouldn't have been able to experience all of those things that needed to come up and I needed to stare straight in the face. And it's really uncomfortable. It's not fun. You know, the deeper you get into this, you're like, this is not sexy mm -mm. whatsoever. No. And it doesn't really feel good right away. You know, I have a lot of qualms with people talking about like, just follow your body. Like even people not in the human design sphere, it's like, just follow your body. It's like our bodies are so addicted and so conditioned. And like, yes, I would love to be able to listen to my body one day. And I, I do. But I also like I don't listen to it and then jump immediately. I listen to it and then I'm like, what's going on? Talk to mm -hmm. me. Like, let's have a dialogue here about this instead of just assuming that that means I should go eat the cookie, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. If you're craving yeah. something, means you need it. Means there's something in it that you need. No, maybe not. <laughs> yeah, you bring up a really good point. And that's something that I've really uncovered with like somatic work and that kind of thing is how much the body actually holds conditioning. Mm -hmm. And I know this is going to be controversial to say on a human Do design it. podcast, but... The body doesn't always know best at first. Like no, it, it holds conditioning just like our minds do. And mm -hmm. I even think, I mean, it's a chicken or the egg thing. Who knows? Does the mental conditioning create the conditioning in the body? Whatever. I don't know. But I know that following my body in the past has actually led to more imbalance and more dysregulation. And yeah. there has to be that period of time where it's it's like your body is learning a new way of being as well yeah. as your mind. Totally. And you know, you're, something's coming up for me now that you're saying that. I think that the idea behind listen to your body is what's important is checking in. So if you check in and your body says, I, f I want a giant bowl of ice cream the size of my face, that's what I want. You can, the, the important part is that you checked in, you listened to your body and now you can go, what do you really want? What are you really trying to escape? Where's the pain? You know, I think that's really where it's at. So it's, it's not so much saying don't listen to your body. Yes, listen to your body. But that doesn't necessarily mean that your body doesn't have coping mechanisms. Yeah, and isn't trying to protect you from something that you should really look at. Absolutely, and it's still recognizing this intelligence in the body, like, but just having that caveat of there's going to be this learning that you go through when it mm -hmm. comes to that, and also we don't always know what the body is saying to us, and if we're not mm -hmm. like if we're not checking in like that on a consistent basis and learning what these different signals mean and pausing before we make a decision like that. Yeah. We don't yeah, we just don't really know. Yeah. 
Um, oh yes yeah it's good it's good stuff I mean it's also about like having melancholy in your chart you don't really know where it's coming from it's like it's just it's complicated <laughs> what has your experience with melancholy been because I I'm fascinated by melancholy right now you have a lot of melancholy don't you, uh, well, you have, aren't you like mostly individual or something yeah, yeah yeah I have like the whole emoting stream like 28 38 39 55 12 oh 22 which is wild yeah and then yeah. also 10 20 um right. I don't think yeah so mostly individual right. and melancholy is just like oh my god I mean it's just my existence at this point and I can see how in the past I used to run away from that or I think that's where a lot of my body conditioning would come in was like mm. maybe my body was saying to me hey you need to stop what you're doing, slow down. But I would be like, mm, we're going to stop and pause this by drinking <laughs> or mm -hmm. by exactly wanting to have a relationship or like have sex or exactly. by overeating or whatever, because I could not sit with that immense discomfort of the agitation and mm -hmm. the sometimes sadness that comes up with it. Yeah. And now I'm just so accepting of the melancholy, although my mind still bitches about it because when I'm feeling really melancholic, I literally can't get anything done. I can't be productive. It's just so specific as to what I need. Um, but it's, man, it's such a different perspective to accept it yeah. and not try to run away from it. I actually heard a talk that Michael Steinbeck Litvin gave that just like, validated so much of what I've experienced that I haven't been able to put into words mm -hmm. and it's on Jonah Dempsey's YouTube for anybody listening that wants to hear that I think I've posted on Instagram before but he just gave this whole lecture about how it means that there's mutation happening and whatever you can do to scratch that itch of the melancholy like to get specific and whether it's hearing something because I'm very acoustic mm -hmm. or Me too. Uh, whether it's eating something specific. Yeah, sometimes there is going to be a specific craving that's just going to foster that mutation um, or watching something, doing a certain activity and just really sensing into that, which means that you have to kind of sit there for a while and do nothing, <laughs> like wait yeah. for that right thing to come along. I love that. Um, yeah. It's encouraging. Mm -hmm. um, I kind of love my melancholy. Um, it hurts like a mofo for sure, but like, it makes me feel really alive. I don't know. I, <laughs> um, I also love a good excuse to do nothing. Same. You know, when, when yeah. my whole body's like, we're not doing it today. And like my will gets in there and we're like, absolutely not. I actually kind of enjoy that, that zone where I'm just like, well, <laughs> today's not the day and I can just do whatever I want. Mm -hmm. But, um, like you said, music, um, acoustics is incredibly useful for me i was actually just thinking about this recently my my um now ex-boyfriend um has no individuality and um i love music and he's not really into it and i'm like how can you how can you not how is it like it saves me yeah it absolutely literally. saves me i would go insane if it weren't for music mm-hmm and so sometimes like I'll just be in my kitchen and I'll be like, oh my God, like what is this? Well, I'm so alone. I need to turn on some music. 
Um, yeah, music for sure has been the the lifesaver for the melancholy. Mm. And also, like, I'll turn on moody music. I'll turn on mm-hmm. Bon Iver. That's my go-to. And I'll just weep. I love That's Bon Iver. So oh, Nothing like a good car cry listening to Bon Iver. Oh, <laughs> I will weep for hours and then I feel so much better. <laughs> yes. Oh, yeah. It's like the music makes me feel something. When I feel like in melancholy, it's almost like you're not really feeling anything there's a lack of because maybe that's it yeah and it's probably specific to gates that we have you know too but for me it's like I'll be trying to listen to certain things and nothing is quenching me and then I find that one song and it's like oh and it's goosebumps and that something about that specific song just does it that's so and, interesting. I've never thought about it like that. I mean, so obvious, right? The, yeah. the melancholy, the mutation, it's upsetting because there's nothing happening and you're there's stuck. nothing. Yeah. That's so interesting. Yeah. But it's like, it just needs that very specific thing. That makes me kind of want to sit in the melancholy next time without playing music just to see what comes up. Yeah. It's an experiment. I love the pain. You know, I've got, I've got 28 hanging or 38 yeah. hanging, pointing at 28. I'm like, what can I struggle with? <laughs> What pain can we have here? What pain can I inflict on myself for more meaning in life? <laughs> oh, yeah. I live in that space. It's just like <laughs> I I live for the drama. I feel like I used to um, think I was so dramatic like as a kid, you know, and my parents would be like, you're so reactive. You're so dramatic. <laughs> and that was a part of myself that I repressed for a really long time. And also being like a teenage girl and wanting guys to think I'm cool. Like I would hang out with all the skater guys and stuff. And I'd try to be that chill girl and not be dramatic. And now I'm, it's like, I'm in my Renaissance era where I'm like the drama is Ooh, part I of like my that. life. Yeah. I'm like, <laughs> I how like dramatic can I be? Like yesterday I woke up and I knew I was in melancholy right away. Cause I was just instantly agitated with being in my body. That's like a sign for me too, is I'm just like, why am I in my body? And my husband like comes into my bed and he's like cuddling me. And I, I was just like, so dramatic about how <laughs> agitated I was just like I don't want to be alive today and like I just fed into it I was like why not I'm just gonna go here and I have an audience now that he's here <laughs> yeah <laughs> he just feeds gotta. into it like he's like oh yeah like I'm sorry and that's terrible and I'm like I know he knows love. how to handle it, right? Home is right. <laughs> yeah. I keep oh. things interesting. That's what I've always said to him. He's like, yeah. <laughs> At least I always have a show. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's very cute. Well, you know. So what was that like? I mean, not to change subjects, but also kind of on the same subject. What was that like going through a serious breakup? I find that like as an emotional being, that can be a thing that really takes a while to process and you're also tribal. Yeah. And so I would imagine there that's a big loss to move through. Yeah. I mean, it's still somewhat new and it's been like just devastating, absolutely mm-hmm. devastating. I'm sure that it's like that for everybody, but um, I really have used relationships in my life to buffer being with myself, you know, and to buffer the fact that I'm so fixed I'm so mm. rigid, you know, and James has told me many times before that that's going to be my biggest trip is how can I be more flexible? Cause I'm nine centers defined, you know, and I'm incredibly slow with the four splits. And I, I really have 
I mean, who doesn't love a good relationship, especially at 37, 40, it's the nicest thing in the world. And I've, yeah. I've been in relationships my whole life to avoid being with myself, I think. So that has come into my awareness and I'm realizing, okay, cool. So I can't just jump into another one. That's something I can't do. So now I have to figure out what I'm not facing and why I'm avoiding myself and how I've been people pleasing and why that's made me lose myself my whole life. And mm. it's like the deep dark, you know, but at the same time, um, I'm emotional. So like I'm having a great time and then I'm having the worst time ever. And then, you know, it's constant, constant flux. Um, I'm grateful for it. I think that my ex has done me the biggest favor of all time. It sucks, but I think that now I'm actually having to figure my shit out. So, wow. <laughs> so did you good. not choose to end the relationship? Mm-mm. No. You know, it's complicated. We both yeah. had our had our things, but he's the one that pulled the trigger. So there's that too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's just that another side. You know, we had just moved in together. We oh. were still very much in love. Like there's a lot of good there. So yeah. it was, it was a bit traumatic. Oh, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's really hard when you're in it and you're going through that. And yet it seems like you're also able to see like how there is some positivity to this or yeah. there is kind of, I mean, it's just our minds obviously coming up with stories about it. But I find for myself at least to have yeah. that awareness of, okay, well, this is happening for a reason, whether or not mm-hmm. it actually is, my mind is making up that story and that's comforting yeah. to me. And like, I can it's actually comforting. see what's happening and I can see how this is kind of a necessary experience for yeah. me to I really evolve. do believe, sorry, I do believe that um, that everything does happen for a reason. I think yeah. that our minds attach to like specific reasons. It may not be the reason, but I think like, like in this situation or this breakup, it was like there were things that weren't working that I needed to look at. Okay. It was inevitable. This had to happen. This, you know, we, it's not like everything happens for a reason because it's always for like, I don't know. We think the reason is something, but it's like the reason is that that's where you were in your evolution. Yes. The next step had to happen, you know, so it's not necessarily pretty, but like it had to happen. Yeah. Anyway, so I do get some solace of thinking about like, OK, so all this pain that I'm feeling, it's not going to last forever, but it is something that had to happen. It was it's the next step. So why not just dive head first and cry a lot, you know? Yeah. Just go for it. <laughs> that's like music to my ears is an abstract being because I'm like there's people out there that are literally like there is no meaning to life you know? <laughs> and I'm like no it <laughs> can't be the case yeah well I have very little abstract so of course my mind is fixated on yeah that. I would imagine yeah wow yeah heartbreak is something that really can I mean honest if I'm quite honest uh relationships heartbreak is the reason when I look back that I actually even got into personal development because mm. I think maybe Ra had said like sec- it's hard to like wake up second lines because we're mm. just like not <laughs> we're not aware <laughs> like mm. if, when you can actually well and it's also we we don't want to answer the call right and yeah. there was a lot of things I could not see in myself that I was blaming on other people mm. And if I wouldn't have gone through heartbreak and confusion and all of that when it comes to relational dynamics, I I don't think I'd be here right now. I think I would be in a very different place. (laughs) So send a thank you note to those people then. (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. It's all about perspective. (laughs) It really is. It really is. 
Well, cool. Well, I can, I feel complete. How do you feel? I feel good. This was awesome. so much fun. Yeah, this was Thank great. You. And you and I have, haven't connected one on one like this other than like in our what DMs. What is wrong with us? I know because I'm like, like you're such a cool that? person. So are you, dude? Like, I loved this. Yeah, this was are great. You... Thank you so much. Yeah, thanks for coming on and taking the time. Are you uh, going to the conference in September? Hell yeah, I'm going. Yeah. Fuck yeah, I haven't got my ticket yet because I'm a quad split, but I, I'm definitely going. <laughs> is what it is, right? Yeah. Cool. Awesome. I'll be excited to see you then again in person. Yeah, me too. Sweet. Is there, I know you took James's analyst training. Are you taking clients or like, is there anything that you want to promote? Um, To be honest, I'm, I'm not. I have a website that I haven't looked at in a long time. You can book sessions with me, but um, I don't know. I'm, I, I I don't know. I am open to sessions, but there's really nothing to promote at this okay. time. <laughs> okay. I just wanted to make sure because no, I'm like, I don't that. really know Thank what you. you're doing. Yeah, the mystique do I, yeah. of the headline, you know? <laughs> so, yeah. okay, cool. Well, awesome. Well, so good to have you on and I'll talk to you soon, I'm sure. Yeah.